He does, and then they go lay on the cracked ice and look at constellations. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Why is that so funny to me? Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantee is implied. Aaron Dicer and Jeremy Scott. Anyway, this company makes a whole line of colors with equally snappy names. Red, Red Menace, Yellow Fever, Green Revolution. That'd be a job, coming up with those names. You think there could possibly be a job like that? I mean, how many hair colors could there be? 50, maybe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 92 of Recotopia. I am Jeremy Scott. And I'm Dicer. And today's big recommend is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I'd like to give a shout-out welcome to those of you watching us record this or listening to us record this live in the chat. Thank you for your participation and your attendance. Um, we take attendance every week. We're just now telling you that, but we know who has been here the most. No, we don't. Here. Um, here. Present. Uh, the person who's been here the most is me. Um Aaron, before we jump into the big recommend, uh, did you bring any small recommends to this week's show? It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small, it's tiny, it's petite, it's wee. Oh yeah, that's something we do here. Uh, yes, I did, in fact. Um, I'm going to start with uh, one that I have watched in my catch-up for the end of the year. Um, oftentimes, this time of year, those are awards bait films this is not one of those i don't think this is necessarily going for any awards but it was worth of special mention because i had a really good time with it and it's one you might not click on initially without some encouragement uh, mm. i wanted to talk about uh, you are so not invited to my bat mitzvah uh Ooh. this is this is on netflix and as you may or may not know to uh to the you know the your own detriment or benefit who knows uh, adam sandler has a deal with netflix and makes a lot of movies on netflix this is a sandler film now when i say a sandler film you may immediately think adam sandler and that's fine he's in the movie but barely uh but it's actually his daughters who are mostly in this movie um they uh have the some of the primary roles here his wife is also in the movie um so it's kind of a family affair for them but this is it feels like a typical coming-of-age female story, but it's from such a specific Jewish perspective with the bat mitzvah stuff. And it also feels so genuine and genuinely funny and also genuinely traumatic with some of the stuff that happens that I couldn't help you swept away in this. I, I, I cried at this movie. I cried at the end of this movie. I thought it was really beautiful, really meaningful. And there's something about this young female relationship, uh, friendship, that is... Um, I think really valuable to experience and to have empathy, empathy for and to kind of step into what it must be like to be a young female in today's culture and to have friends um, and with everything that goes on. So yeah, this is, this is a small recommend for me and I think you might enjoy it. You'll laugh a lot. And if you're like me, you'll be moved a little bit as well. Wow. I'm, I'm shocked. And that's okay because movies do that sometimes. Um, well, this went from nowhere near my radar to kind of on it now. That's how you sell a movie, Aaron. Um, <laughs> yeah, I knew the basic idea that it was his daughter and he was in the film, but that was she was kind of the star. 
Mm-hmm. But I, I just presumed, which I, I do a lot, um, that it was going to be the Sandler-style signature humor. Uh, and I'm so glad to learn that it's not, because I, the last... Okay, the only other recent Sandler movie I've seen was the sequel to the Jennifer Aniston spy... Oh, Murder Mystery? Murder Mystery 2. Yeah. There's zero heart in that movie. Not, nobody's even interested in heart in that movie. Um, right, right. They're just sleepwalking. So I'm glad to hear that this is good. Um, my first small recommend is a movie from 2012 called Mud with Matthew McConaughey that I have long confused as one of two other movies with Matthew McConaughey, and so therefore I have never watched it. Uh, let me see if I can pull up his... Which, which movies I confused uh, for this. It's the one where Juno Temple is in it, and it, there's a bunch of, like, trailer murder mystery thing. And then there's another one where he's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just look up him. You can keep IMDb. talking. I'll look him up. Okay. Um, anyway, Mud stars basically Ty Sheridan. Um, it's Ty Sheridan, right? Yes, Ty Sheridan, who I have only seen as an older, you know, like young adult actor. I'd never seen mm-hmm. him as a teenager, and he is incredible in this movie. And this movie is about two young 14-year-old kids who live in rural Arkansas. One of them lives on a riverboat, houseboat, and they find uh, a vagrant, Matthew McConaughey's mud, living on this small island on the Mississippi River. And he asks them to bring him some food, and they do. And he tells them he's there because he's got to meet up in town with his girlfriend. Um, and then they find out when they go into town that he's a wanted man. Um, and I don't really say, want to say too much beyond that. Um, it's, it is a basic coming-of-age story about Ty Sheridan's Ellis character. Um, McConaughey is outstanding as usual. But I was riveted. Uh, everyone's great in this. Uh, Jacob Laughlin plays the other young person. Uh, Sam Shepard is in this. Reese Witherspoon is in this. Sarah Paulson, Michael Shannon, Joe Don Baker. It's just a great cast. Uh, and I, again, had confused it for, I'm going to find it right now. I'm on his IMDb. Uh, White Boy Rick. And beach, the Beach Bum was the one I thought maybe you confused it with. but No, it's uh, a lot further back here than I thought. Killer Joe. And so my brain would hear mud and see Matthew McConaughey's face, and I thought it was one of those two movies, and I had already seen it. Um, and I stumbled across it the other day, and I hadn't actually already seen it. It's on Max right now. If I somehow sold that movie, stumbling through that recommend. It's a Jeff Nichols film, and he has a his first movie since uh, Mud comes out this year called The Bike Riders. Although I think it just got pushed to 2024. I could be wrong about that. Um, hmm. It may do, it may still try to do awards this year. It may do like a limited release or something. But yeah, he hasn't done a movie since 2012. That's wild. Um, uh, have you seen Mud? So do you remember? I have. Yes, I I actually would probably need to rewatch it to give it a better rating. I don't remember being blown away by it, but I also don't remember being annoyed by it or hating it. I think there's probably something subconscious at work when I realize, oh, I actually have never seen this. I think Mm -hmm. that maybe slightly invests me more than somebody who sits down to watch Mud. Um, But anyway. Yeah. Hit me with another small recommend. 
My second small recommend uh, is from the awards side of things, although I don't think you'll hear about this much uh, in the awards conversation. I saw Biosphere, um, which is a Duplass film, uh, Mark Duplass uh, starring in it as well with Sterling uh, K. Brown. Not to be um, confused with Biodome. Biosphere is in no way related to Biodome. Uh, it is instead uh, Sterling K. Brown and uh, Mark Duplass, and they are the only two people in this movie. The entirety of this movie is a two-hander. Wow. Um, it is just them. One thing I've liked about these recent Duplass movies, I think of the one I love uh, that came out a few years ago as well, is it's clear that when Duplass sits down to do a project, he's very much concerned about doing something interesting or unique or telling a, you know, a story that you just can't see anywhere else. This is definitely all those things. And I really, really liked it uh, overall. Um, basically what you're dealing here with plot wise, and I don't want to give away hardly anything because the movie reveals itself very, very well, um, throughout, but you're dealing with two guys who are in a biosphere, uh, at let's just say the end of the world. Um, and they are surviving here, um, for particular reasons that you will find out some weird things start happening that they have to deal with, have to process. I will mention that those weird things that start happening, allow them to have, very interesting conversations and um, situations that will allow the audience and them to think deeply about many issues. Um, and that's about all I want to say. But you know, you know me, I love a movie that makes you think. I love a movie that makes you come out asking questions like, what would I do? You know, how would that happen? So there's a little bit of sci-fi here, a little bit of... Um, or a lot a bit of kind of moral quandary stuff Ooh. so so yeah biosphere i i uh, really really enjoyed interesting that's that picture that you've got up on screen for those who are watching does not exactly suggest a think piece uh <laughs> no it looks more like biodome uh but anyway uh i'm excited to hear this is good uh where is it again I'm not sure where it's streaming again this time of year. I oh, I get, get stuff sent to me, so like I'm I'm not necessarily sure. This one has been out for a while, so if nothing else, I think you should be able to buy it on demand um, if it's not streaming somewhere. Okay. So. Uh, cool. Well, my second small recommend uh, is a brand new film on Max uh, that came out Saturday called Albert Brooks Defending My Life. Uh, Defending My Life is a, a riff on one of his films, uh, which they talk about called Defending Your Life. I love Albert Brooks. Uh, Broadcast News is in my top 10 all-time films, but I have seen almost all of his movies. His sense of humor is very unique, uh, and it always gets me. He's great in dramatic roles like Drive. Uh, and this is a documentary where Rob Reiner sits down uh, and has a long conversation with Albert Brooks about his career. And it's interspersed with so much footage from stuff I never knew about early in his career. But then they go through all the movies he directed and his prominent acting roles. Uh, this is a great pairing because they went to high school together and they were in drama productions together in high school. Imagine two of our greatest comedic filmmakers high school that's wild to me <laughs> so they have a really good relationship they have uh and rob reiner is an incredibly talented actor and filmmaker in his own right so he's a great person to guide 
through this life. Early Albert Brooks on The Tonight Show and other talk shows I had never seen, and he was wild. He did a routine where he was an elephant trainer, but he couldn't bring the elephant today, so he brought a frog. So you just had to imagine the frog was an elephant. And he's like, now we're going to do the trick where the elephant puts his foot on my head but doesn't crush me. And he lays down on the ground and he puts the frog on the side of his head. And the whole thing is this conceptual bit. He does some hysterical riffs on ventriloquism where his lips just move freely, not even trying to hide that he's doing the voice. Um, He's just a really funny, witty, unique voice uh, early on in, in his career. And then this thing gets every famous living funny person you can think of on the record about what they think about Albert Brooks and they all think he's a genius uh this movie was practically made for me um but I think it's great even if you're not a huge Albert Brooks fan and it will uh definitely expose you to some movies you could watch uh that he made that you may not have been aware of this sounds amazing uh definitely immediately goes on on my list um when was this made when was this uh documentary made this year I believe so it was this year yeah, that's my, I mean, oh, okay. I just closed that cool. tab out. But yeah, that was my understanding. I mean, cool. it, it just came out Saturday. Yeah, 2023. Nice. Excited to check that one out for sure. All right. It's time for our big recommend. Aaron, take us away. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just that you're so big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. We're going to talk about Eternal Sunshine, a movie I will say right off the top. We debated at the end of uh, last episode whether it was sad or happy. I am I am happy to stand here and say I will be fighting for the fact that this movie is very hopeful and has a lot of sunshine oh, uh, in it. So, wrong. Uh, um, we'll I'm it. very excited to have that conversation right. with you. Uh, I uh, I will go through this plot the best I can. Uh, it is Charlie Kaufman. So just know that things get weird Mm -hmm. in this movie. Mm -hmm. We start with Joel, who is played by Jim Carrey, having an off day. So he impulsively hops a train to Montauk and explores a freezing beach. He says at one point after noticing a woman, why do I fall in love with every woman I see who shows me the least bit of attention? That's me from college, baby. (laughs) Also foreshadowing uh, some things there. Uh, Clementine is Kate Winslet, and uh, she appears, and they chat on the train. They kind of have this moment in uh, a diner and then on the train. It doesn't really go great, but he gives her a ride home, and you can. there's a little bit of tension. Something's off. Something's weird. Eventually, uh, they get a drink, and she says to give her a call. Uh, he does, and then they go lay on the cracked ice and look at constellations. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Why is that so funny to me? <laughs> That's literally what happens, but the crazy is what uh, And then Frodo shows up, um, Frodo. and at the at the window, Elijah Wood shows up and knocks on uh, the the van window and asks what he is doing in a very strange way. We of course will come to find out why uh, he is asking that in such a strange way, but we don't know now if this is their first time watching the movie. Cue the titles and a weeping Jim Carrey uh, through the titles. Uh, things are now getting weird as we continue into the movie. A van is tailing him and someone is asking him questions. Uh, Frodo and the Hulk come in and all of a sudden we are into some very weird backstory where things are disappearing from his life. Now the movie does 
makes the choice not to make some things obvious. So at first you're kind of getting your feet underneath you as to what is in the real world, what is happening in this mind world where things are getting erased. And you kind of transition in a very normal movie way to the bookstore and what's going on there. He's trying to give a gift to somebody at the bookstore. Um, well, he finds out in that moment that Clementine has erased him from her life through this new technology. Uh, that a company called Lacuna uh, does. Uh, so he goes into K Lacuna uh, so that he can meet Kirsten Dunst and Tom Wilkinson, uh, who uh, apparently work there. He then decides he must also erase her from his memory um, now that she has erased him from hers. Uh, so he collects all his Clementine memory stuff and goes through that process. We as an audience are becoming increasingly aware that he is in the process of doing that right now, that the stuff we are seeing are memories that are getting erased from his memory right now. Um, and as we go through memory after memory, uh, including the last time he saw her uh, after she wrecked his car and he says uh, he assumes that she slept with someone um, and that that's what she does to get attention. And this is the end of this relationship that we are seeing. It is also memory that is being erased. Uh, we then find out as we kind of cut back to the real world and back to the, the memory erasing stuff, and we're getting a better idea of which is which now. We're getting a better idea of what's real and what's in the memory palace. Um, we find out that uh, Frodo is actually a creeper. He's a panty sniffer, uh, but he is also now... <laughs> what have you got into you today, man? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, and he's now dating... Clementine, and this is creepy stuff, Jeremy. This is really creepy stuff. He's now he's now dating Clementine, and Joel seems like he can hear this. This is a big point in the plot, where where Joel is now realizing he is what's the what's the word for when you can uh, active dream, like you can control your dreams. There's a technical term it for lucid it. He's dreaming? lucid, yeah, lucid dream. He's he's lucid memory wiping right now. Like he is somehow both controlling. You know what he can hear he also finds he can open his eyes and actually see the room uh, that he's in um, while this is happening um, he wonders as he hears these voices how this elijah wood character knows that she's called tangerine hmm. um, this of course is because uh, when she had her memory wiped uh, the Elijah Wood character uh, has creeped on her and knows all that stuff and is actually using his uh the way that he fell in love with her to try and have her fall in love uh with him he's copying a super him. villain man yeah he really is he really is um so the absolute disrespect they show this man as he is having his memory wiped happens during this this time they dance on his bed they have sex in the room they use him as a tabletop to put their food on <laughs> um they are just completely disrespecting him he is continuing continuing to work his way through the memories it becomes clear now that he wishes he hadn't erased specifically the good memories he's now experiencing the good memories being erased and really wanting those to be kept um, but those are going to um he tries to scream out can you hear me i want to call it off i want this over with uh, but nobody can hear his cries um 
at one point he's in a in the woods with a conversation with clementine she says oh just wake yourself up and he starts to be sarcastic oh okay that's gonna work like gangbusters and then it actually does for a second as like we said he continues to learn that he can kind of do stuff so they get another idea the next idea is to hide her in a memory that won't get erased this is brilliant yeah. this is this is such a cool idea so then we get uh we get some other uh ennui through the trauma of his childhood as he is tiny jim carrey under a table uh, looking up to his mom he tries to replace um the the person that was going to watch him with her um with clementine uh so yeah he he remembers uh, a childhood rainstorm um mrs hamlin is think it's the woman's name so he's trying to put her in these uh in these places in the real world bare butt hulk wakes up and realizes that something has gone wrong so he calls his boss uh which is tom wilkinson um meanwhile clementine uh might be having issues with uh frodo as well so we kind of cut to them and she's like this isn't quite working for me remind me a little bit of like groundhog day when he's trying to make it like force it to work in some of the later days with andy mcdowell that kind of feeling of like this just isn't right mm -hmm. this is not working and she's picking up on all of that uh tom wilkinson arrives to save the day drugs him a little bit more howard by the way dr howard i think is the the character's name uh seems to get things back on track but joel is still trying to outrun the erasing and hide her again and other stuff uh, so we get more of his life's trauma, uh, the shame of masturbation, the shame of killing a bird, uh, but Howard continues to find him. We then have a section of the movie where we deal with the Howard and Mary situation that kind of comes out of nowhere, mm. uh, honestly. She just starts hard flirting with him. We find out that uh, she wants to have an affair with him. We find out later from his wife that she's already had an affair with him and they erased her memory, um, or she wanted her memory erased. I shouldn't make it sound like they you know, forced that on her. She apparently wanted her memory erased of that moment. So that this is happening again. So this is repeating. Other things are repeating. There's a real theme of repeating uh, in this movie. The final house falls in. We have confirmed what we knew that they are meet. What we knew from the beginning. Now we know for sure that they are actually meeting again for the first time. All the stuff we saw at the beginning is post memory wipe, and it is them somehow finding each other again after all this time. Uh, meanwhile, Mary has decided to mail everybody who had their memories erased a recording of the memories they want erased. Such chaos. You talk about a super villain. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean I wanna have I wanna least, have that conversation at some point. She we we will, but she at least I believe has good intentions in the moment. Yes. But it is a terrible action. Absolutely. That is a terrible thing to do. Absolutely. Uh so yes, I think she thinks she's doing the right thing. I just as strongly think that she is doing the wrong thing. Anyhow, those tapes find their way to Clementine, uh, who um plays her tape in front of joel about her saying these terrible things about him he starts freaking out he doesn't know what's going on why is she even talking about them they just met today then he gets home finds his tape and she says it's only fair that you know that she listens to his tape since he listened to hers and so they let it play as they realize that they 
had this relationship and it came to a bad end and they can just hear in their voices uh, where they landed in that relationship. Then it comes to a hallway scene. He chases her out to the hallway after she's left. They argue a little bit and, and he says, I can't think of any th reason why I wouldn't like you. And she says, you will think of things you don't like. We have the proof, right? She has the proof. You will think of things you don't like. And I will get bored with you because that's what happens with me. And the Jim, character, uh, the Jim Carrey character just says, okay. And she says, okay. And they laugh, and then as they run off into the snow at the end of the movie, the video jumps back a couple of times and repeats itself a couple of times as them playing in the snow and leaves the audience wondering, are they in a repeating cycle or are they now choosing to hold on to the good memories? Uh, what did you think, Jeremy, as you watched uh, this positive, hopeful movie again? I <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's uh, beautiful it's so good. and complex. And I think only the unique minds that made this movie could have made this movie. I'm fascinated having uh, done some background research at how much of what we see was done practically in camera. It's wild, isn't it? The yeah. scene where he's in the brain scan chair and Howard and Hulk are there. I'm just going to keep going with your thing. Um, and then Jim Carrey walks in um, wearing his outfit from when he's on his bed later that night. He That's all practical in camera. Jim Carrey mm -hmm. just kept taking off his hat and moving positions really quick when the camera would turn. Uh, and that's fascinating to me that they would make that choice. Um, there was very little CG used in the entire film which again, uh, only makes it more impressive, but you could have used CG for all that stuff and the movie would still sing. I got all kinds of thoughts. I love in the beginning, um, the, the scene that you said, they lay on the cracked ice and look at constellations. <laughs> she goes out there further and he's concerned. She's even fallen down mm -hmm. and she says, yeah. come out here. And he says, what if it breaks? And that is the fucking thing right there. That's, That's the, There it is. The whole thing. I love uh, David Cross and uh, the other gal who play uh, the couple that are friends mm -hmm. um, with, uh, what is his name? Barish? What's his first name? Joel. Um, I love especially David Cross's line reading. Um, where He's over in the corner doing something, banging, and nailing, and his wife says, give it a rest. And he goes, I'm making a birdhouse. And it just... <laughs> Perfectly David Cross and Charlie Kaufman all at once. Um, I, I think the business is fascinatingly brilliant, but unethical as hell because they, they have to know. I'm just going through my notes. You let me know if you want to interject and have no, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. They have to know that the person being erased will eventually find out they were erased and will have a better than 50% chance of wanting to also erase the person that erased them thereby doubling your profits. I think that is an unethical form of marketing. You baked into your business, repeat business. And I don't like that, but I also think it's brilliant. I love the scene where he's here, during this segment where he's hearing uh, Elijah Wood talking, uh, how does he know, call you tangible mm -hmm. and all that. He's got yeah, yeah, yeah. Chinese food and he's walking around and for a while yes. he lingers in the doorway of the kitchen and we yes. only see the top of his torso. And then in front of him is a television Yes. playing the rest of his torso and yes. it's just a kind of visual 
I just, I would never have thought of something like this, but it is playing into the exact idea of everything that's going on in that moment. And I never noticed that particular thing before. Um, and it's not, and it's like you watch it and you go, oh, that's so brilliant. And then you start thinking about it and you're just like, also not that hard to accomplish when you really think about it. You just put a camera on the other side of the TV that's hooked to what's showing on, like, but it just, it just works. And I mean, you have to get the the angles and everything right, but it's just, yeah, stuff like that. I just love. Um, I love when they go to the drive-in and sit outside the wall and make up their own dialogue for the movie. That's just incredibly romantic mm -hmm. kind of notion of a thing to do. Uh, and they're adorable when they do it. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, when researching this movie, I got to say, I think Michael Gondry might be a dick. Um, <laughs> because tell us about it. I got a couple of notes here I want to read. Um, he, he just didn't tell everybody everything. Um, he told Kate Winslet before they made the movie, hey, this is a comedy. And he told mm -hmm. Jim Carrey, hey, this is a drama. And those kind of tricks are generally okay with me. I don't really have a problem with that. But um, well, and he's playing off what they usually do, right? Like his intent is to bring Kate more into the yes. comedic realm and Jim, and Jim more into the dra dramatic realm. Here are yeah. the two notes that matter the most. When Jim Carrey first met with Michael Gondry about, is it Michael or Michelle Gondry? I think it may be Michelle. I'll just say Gondry. Um, um, about starring in the film, he was, Carrey was suffering from a depressive episode. Over lunch, Gondry told Carrey, you are so beautiful right now. You are so broken. Please don't get well. <laughs> That's not okay. That and then the other okay. note is, after filming the scene in the sink for over two hours, Kate Winslet fainted, and Gondry wanted to continue filming, which made Jim Carrey angry, and he refused to continue shooting until Winslet was okay. So Gondry sounds good for him. like a Hitchcockian kind of guy that is going to pursue his vision at the expense of his actors, um, and that kind of doesn't sit easy with me, but some of our greatest art has come from some of our most damaged damaging people uh but i never knew any of that before we did this podcast well it's it's it it genuinely is a cultural shift from the demanding overbearing style of leadership and coaching you look at sports and you look at what was considered good coaching you know 50 years ago and you just go those those people are abusing high school children <laughs> like you know like that is and and i don't mean in a I, I don't i just mean in a verbal you know uh way in that instance yeah. um but the same was true in movies it was like that was thought to be the way you got the best performance was to uh traumatize trick and um and otherwise, uh, you know, destroy your performers. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I end on the side of thinking that this is a toxic relationship that should not continue. Mm. Um, I do not see the hope that you see. Um, I understand, I believe, why you could see this movie and end with hope. What does it for me is the scene where she comes home having driven drunk and then... Mm -hmm. Uh, proving that she is an absolute disaster right now, and mm -hmm. he does the same and proves he's an absolute disaster. That is a mm -hmm. toxic-ass relationship, and yes, people in real-life toxic relationships can still be attracted to each other in very strong ways, and if they had their memories wiped, might still start dating again afterwards, and it wouldn't mm -hmm. mean it wasn't toxic. I'm only... 
the only reason I'm going to hold to this opinion and let you have yours is that I read that there was an early version of the script that ends with an older um, Clementine going into the memory wiping place for a procedure and we see on a piece of paper or a screen that she's had 14 procedures done and all of them <laughs> were Joel. All of them. Amazing. Um, so granted, an early version of the script does not impact the film that we see. Sure. Uh, but it does suggest to me the headspace of where the filmmakers might have been at. Um, I, I think, I think like most good movies, and I think this is a great movie, uh, like most good movies, you want to leave the audience with the ability to use their own worldview to think about the things that are deep and meaningful to them in a way that, you know, gives them something to process, gives them something to to think through. I think the the probably, if I'm going to make some assumptions, which I'm going to do right now, <laughs> probably the reason they went away from that ending is that is too clear of an ending. Yes. There's no nuance in that yes. ending, right? Yes. And that's what I love about the repeating of the snow thing at the end there is nuance there like he he could be making exactly the same point as that original ending was making this is going to happen again and but again it allows the viewer and again to decide, yes yeah i yeah. absolutely and, agree yeah and so and so as much as i will be the one on here saying here's where i find hope here's where i find beauty those kind of things i do it well aware that that a probably isn't the intention of the writer or the filmmaker necessarily um, but that the movie allows me to make those conclusions. It allows me to think those thoughts Absolutely. or to process the world in that way. The, the best argument to make for hope is that by somehow hearing themselves say all the terrible shit about the other one, they become changed, um, which I will buy as a possibility uh, that because if they were in some kind of loop, and never got a chance to hear that, then it's definitely bleak to me. Mm -hmm. uh, but the fact that they are confronted with their own harsh judgments of the other, uh, even in the same room uh, when his is playing, um, I will buy the interpretation that that does change them fundamentally as humans and how they approach their relationship. I don't take that interpretation. Uh, the, the toxic stuff is... This relationship plays out for us in reverse, and it plays out exactly how toxic relationships play out. Uh, it, it, if, you, if you reverse it, it starts out all lovey and happy, and everything is quirky and fun and silly, and we just go with it. And then the cracks start to show, and then we start to be mean to each other. Um, and again, I have been in toxic relationships, um, and I have had breakups like that that credit scene where he's just bawling in the car um mm -hmm. sure. man that happened to me a good three or four times <laughs> um so i i can really connect to it but i walk away from this movie a little bit sad um mm -hmm. because i feel like they are not a good match they are they are just really attracted to each other but that's why movies are I think awesome. it's more than I think it's more I think the movie wants it to be more than just they're attracted to each other though I think especially in showing us Jim Carrey watching his good memories be erased it's trying to say like no matter what the the correct quote-unquote correct decision is for them to make whether it's to separate or stay together and I think the movie is very much about where is that line mm -hmm. 
where is that where is that toxicity line in a relationship because every relationship has sacrifices every relationship has you know yes. uh, good memories but and not bad every memories relationship and trauma. has one saying you fuck people to make them like you i i understand <laughs> but i would i would also uh hesitate i guess to guess because i don't know cuz i've never said this but i i would hesitate to guess that some relationships that overall we would call positive relationships have said terrible things like that, mm. you know, in a moment, right? Mm. Like that there, there that are, makes this me was, sad. it does make, it makes me very sad too, but it's also kind of the theme that anatomy of a fall was dealing with, which is like, when you take a, a, a couple's anger with each other or their fight and the things that they say during that time out of context, you can read a story into those moments where we're at our worst. And I think you're right, Jeremy. I, I don't think there's anything stopping us from declaring these two are not good together. I think the movie makes enough clear that these two aren't good together. I think what the movie wants us to question is, first of all, it's not our responsibility to tell them they're not good together. We're observing that in, in this instance, but also their decision-making at the end to go, yeah, I know we're not good together in these ways, but man, those good times were so good. Let's try again. That is on an essence level, the beauty of a good relationship is to be able to understand where the truth, like where the the pursuit of the healthy version of you together, as opposed to, you know, um, the negative version. So we're talking about briefly at least, and I'm not an expert, but I, I'm pretty certain that Clementine is dealing with some sort of bipolar um, sure. mental health condition uh, the way that she's written, but there's nothing proclaimed there. Um, and that would only lead me a little bit more towards your interpretation that that they are accepting that they're not going to be perfect. They are accepting that times are going to be rough. The The movie is also asking us, I believe, to make an assessment of our own trauma and understand that it never should have happened to us. It, it's terrible that it did. And yet to erase that memory is to, re, to erase possible good things that happened because of that. That doesn't mean it was a good thing. It just means as human beings, we are able to survive, to adapt, to you know do other things. And to erase the memory of the trauma in many ways is to erase um, growth or maturity or even, even, um, knowledge in a loss of naivete and like all these things that are important as, as you become, uh, older and see the world, like our worldview depends on those things. Um, so I think the movie is making a, another point about, um, the idea of sometimes we wish we could change the past instead of understanding how complex and nuanced the past really is. Or even on, or even perspective-wise. I think the mo I could mm -hmm. make an argument that the movie is saying that the good moments are sweeter because the bad moments exist. Like, I've brought this up a, a number of times. There was a car commercial 20, 15 years ago, and I loved the slogan because it was drive everything else first. And it basically <laughs> said, you need to see what bad looks like so right. that you understand what good looks like. Right. And I think the movie is, I think that's why the movie plays the way it does. The bad memories come out first. And that's when you realize, oh, he probably had forgotten the good memories. The bad ones had overshadowed 
the good ones. Yeah, it's just yeah. deep. There's so many ways to come at it, come out from it, talk about it. And uh, I, again, I think it's a masterpiece. Uh, I'm going to go over a few other uh, things that I noted. I love the score in this movie. Mm-hmm. Very early on, as they're on the bus, there's this oboe. I think it's an oboe that comes in with this like really bouncy like score kind of thing. And it just, it the way the music punctuates the mood of the, the it's just so good. There's I, even I, a scene that I read that they reversed the traditional thing. It's, it's a scene in the train uh, in early on when they're first having their conversation. And most movies would play music when they're not speaking during the pauses and then mm-hmm. stop when they speak, and this movie does the opposite. So every time they speak in that train scene, score comes in. And when they stop talking, it goes silent. And it just creates that unsettling kind of, you know, magnet, mag- pulls you in. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, the score's... Uh, yeah, I made a about the to score, it. too, so... Um, Jim Carrey is so good in this. It makes me very sad that he was dealing with whatever he was dealing with. Mm -hmm. Um, and more sad that, uh, Michelle Gondry would encourage him not to get help. Um, that's just disgusting in my opinion. (laughs) Yes. Um, but he is, he is so good in this and I, I genuinely, uh, I genuinely get sad when I think about how much he wanted recognition from his peers and the work that he was doing that probably deserved some kudos and some recognition from his peers and the process he had to go through to come through the other side of going, oh, I guess I don't need that Mm. is, I don't know. I, I, I get sad for the journey he spent investing in being a, you know, high quality dramatic actor and then, um, you know, coming through the other side, you know, realizing that 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 he w- the pursuit was fine, the work was great, but that his uh, priorities were in the wrong place uh, for him. This is stuff he said. Well, I think uh, that's true that. for everyone. Like, yeah, I know Jonah Hill's not having a great PR year, but that documentary he did with his therapist, he tells a story in there about after he after he got nominated for an Oscar, he realized, oh shit. Like the ideal perfect life is still not making me happy. Like mm-hmm. I have to look for happiness somewhere outside of what I thought was going to provide at that moment. Right. Stuck with me from that film, I'm trying to apply that to my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Charlie Kaufman's a genius. I'll say it as many times as I, I get an opportunity to. I love the way his brain works. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gondry also works really well with Carrie. I don't know if anybody else. Like anybody, maybe I was the only one who saw the TV show Kidding uh, that Jim Carrey is I in that Gondry did. Uh, I think there's a lot to glean from that show as well. Uh, so I'll throw in a little uh, subtle recommend for that. Um, the amazing effects, you've already mentioned them a little bit. I wanted to mention a couple others. The, the first one that popped out to me was when he's walking from the bookstore into the home. Um, and you just get a sense of... He's walking out of the bookstore, but he walks right into the living room of a of a house. And again, it's not like I it's it's not like a magic trick. We all know they build a set that was the bookstore and they had a door that went into a set that was a living room. But the effect of how the lights get turned out, as an example of the memory being erased, and then he's in the living room. Like it's just the conceptualization of it is just so good. Um the uh you mentioned the shot of Carrie eating uh takeout through the TV, which I wanted to mention. Uh, the people disappearing from the train station has always stood out to me. Mm. Um, that is a shot 
that I'm pretty sure was not done practically, uh, but it's still yeah. nonetheless pretty amazing. Um, and then the baby Joel stuff, uh, just building that big set and having Jim Carrey play a, a little kid under the table and just all that stuff works Especially really, really they, well for me. When they do cut during that sequence to two child actors, they keep using Jim Carrey. I just I forgot her name. Um, come in time. They keep using those the, the adult actors' voices. Yes. Even though it's child actors on screen. I thought that was an interesting yeah. touch, too. Um, sand is overrated. It's just tiny little rocks. Uh, I, was, I was thought he, he and uh, Anakin Skywalker should get together they and just lament on, on sand. It's everywhere. Uh, the absolute genius that is giving us the backstory we need as it's being erased. Mm. Just, I mean, just the thought of doing it in that way that, like... The, the freedom you have as a writer or a director to give the audience the information you want to give them at whatever point you want to give it to him because we're just jumping around his memories to erase them. Mm. Like it has a, a literal practical purpose in the story and it also allows to do all the exposition you would ever want to do. It's just, it's a really genius conceit um, uh, as far as how the exp uh, exposition is done. Um, the, the quote, my crotch is still here, just as you remember it, yeah. just makes me laugh every single time. Uh, and then I wanted to mention the doll story that Clementine tells. I think it's one of the saddest stories and speaks to her childhood trauma when she's talking about having a doll because the doll was ugly and then telling the doll, you, you know, you can't be ugly, be pretty. And knowing that she was talking to herself mm. and, um, just powerful, powerful stuff. Uh, and I couldn't finish without mentioning the the primary quotes of this movie that Mary delivers to us, uh, by the way. One of them from Nietzsche, blessed are the forgetful for they forget the error of their blunders, mm -hmm. uh, certainly speaks to what you were saying about the intent of this is probably the more cynical view. Um, because when you talk about blunders, you're not talking about forgetting you know, the good stuff. Um, but then the secondary quote puts a little nuance on that, which is how happy is the blameless vestal's lot, the world forgetting by the world forgot, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, each prayer accepted, each wish resigned. Ignorance is bliss is basically the the theme there There in the movie, I think, says, but is it? Uh, so that's, that's kind of a, a really beautiful symmetry going on there as well. Just good stuff all around. Man, this is just a good watch. It really is. It's brilliant, and uh, I'm glad you brought it to the show, and I hope that some people got exposed to it and uh, agree with me about the ending. Um, <laughs> you got a double feature for us? Be very, very quiet. Secret. What secret? A dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. Are uh, you ready for the double feature? Let's do the double feature. I, before picking, I had a list of, looks like, 12 possibles, which is the mo most I've ever come up with. But that speaks to how difficult this is to match up a sure. double feature with. Because there are two things you might want to tie a double feature to. And that's either the memory play or the, what I'm calling, toxic relationship. Mm -hmm. And I... Can hardly. I think the movie's pretty clear it's a toxic relationship. Okay. I just um, think that I, there's, there's a line where you go, yes, but how much of, you know, anyways, continue. I, I can hardly think of any movies that both play with memory as a core theme, but also focus on a toxic relationship. Uh, when I was playing with memory, I looked at things like Memento, 
Um, <clears throat> I looked at um, things like The Jacket, which is partially a time-traveling movie. Um, I really, really wanted to go with Blue Valentine um, because I think that is the perfect toxic relationship pairing. Um, but it wasn't perfect enough for me, even though mm. that uh, that movie is a perfect double pairing, uh, double feature. I'm going with Vanilla Sky, um, mm. which is a movie that plays with what is real and what is not real. It includes a toxic relationship as well as a new relationship. Um, I don't necessarily want to spoil Vanilla Sky, but I will say that a character at the end of the movie has a choice to go back and relive their life the way they had or mm -hmm. not. Uh, and I think that's uh, maybe the key thing that makes this a double feature for me is that the, the main character faces a very similar choice at the end. Uh, and I think a lot of the themes are the same. A lot of the symbolism would match up. Um, so uh, yeah, it's good. I settled on Vanilla Sky. It's not necessarily a movie I would straight up recommend. Um, I would almost recommend Open Your Eyes, which is the Spanish language version that it is a remake of, uh, and I think is better. But uh, I do think it is good, and I think it is a good pairing for this movie. So there you go. Good choice. And now I think uh, it falls to me to tell you next week's homework. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there was actually a little foreshadowing in the small recommends for this week's homework. Yes. And I noticed one person in the chat has just watched this movie. We're going it's to watch blow their minds. Defending Your Life, an Albert Brooks movie uh, where he goes to heaven and has to, well, he goes to a purgatory-ish place and has to uh, defend his life to a panel. Um, and he meets Meryl Streep and kind of falls for um, this movie's awesome. I haven't seen it in probably eight or nine years. Uh, it is on Max right now. Um, and I do want to be clear um, that we are going to skip a week on this show. There will be no show next week. Our recording week next week is Thanksgiving week. Uh, and so we're going to skip and take the time off and relax and celebrate Thanksgiving with our families. And then the following week, we will be back to record and Defending Your Life will be the featured recommend. Uh, Aaron, have you seen Defending Your Life? I have not. I'm excited to check it out. Um, I'm always excited for uh, Albert Brooks movies I haven't seen and Meryl Streep movies I haven't seen. So uh, Hey, this ticks both of those boxes. Hey, imagine <laughs> that. Uh, all right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks again to the chat for coming out. Um, you guys are special to us, and we like seeing your avatars every week and reading your comments. And uh, next week, your homework is, no, not next week, two weeks. Defending Your Life, Albert Brooks. It's on Max. I hope you love it. For Aaron Dicer, I'm Jeremy Scott, and we'll see you next time. See you guys. Be a part of the live show by being a member of the Sin Club at Patreon at patreon.com slash cinemasins. Chat with us on the Cinemasins Discord at discord.gg slash cinemasins or Cinemasins Twitter at cinemasins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinemasins.com. That's R-E-C-O-T-O-P-I-A at cinemasins.com. I'm excellent at, broad, at like announcing what I'm doing. Titan, Titan. Loosen, <laughs> loosen. Anyway, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. 
I got a little sick yesterday, a little bit of food sickness. Yeah, you know, it presents in usually one of two very specific ways, and it was only in one of the ways, but that is still, you know, one of those things where it's just like, can this just stop now? Can, like, you know, can we just move on, stomach? Whatever you're dealing with, let's go ahead and move to the next part. There was a period early on in my anxiety journey, um, like pre-diagnosis, okay. where... I would, my general routine when I get up in the morning is I brush my teeth and then I come downstairs and pull out a bottle of water and I have a nice guzzle mm -hmm. of a bottle of water. And for seven, I'm sorry to be disgusting, but um, it was a stomach related anxiety mm -hmm. thing that I didn't, right. I didn't know was tied to anxiety. But anyway, uh, like five days ago, I'm just doo -doo -doo, sitting here, you know, drinking my morning iced tea from Starbucks and I bought this splendid juice thing that I was pounding. And ultimately, I think I just drank too fast, too mm -hmm. much. Uh, but there was this like, uh, I had to leave the room and go uh, <clears throat> refund. Um, and my <laughs> Make wife a return was to the store. I can I can talk about something less gross. Uh, I I can. Um, do you want a story from the Aaron continues to age into old people things? Oh, that's as long as it's not. Gross, no, I don't yeah. think it's gross. Uh, I have right. I have discovered the miracle that is house slippers. Um, you know, like there is, my wife helped me discover this miracle. She bought us some slippers. I've never been a slipper person. I'm a barefoot person as much as possible. I'll walk around my house barefoot. I'll walk out into the wow. yard barefoot. I will do occasional driving chores barefoot. Won't bother putting shoes or socks on and I'll run down to a drive through or whatever and drive barefoot. Um, which by the way, driving barefoot is safer than driving with shoes on. Many people don't know that, but, um, says, says the studies. Jeremy, just I the see. studies. That's all you got to do. It says the studies. Just tell me, tell me, just say, do your research, Jeremy. <laughs> One thing that I uh, remember my grandmother for, and I didn't get to spend tons of time mm -hmm. with my grandmother because we lived halfway across the country, but she would send my brother and I every Christmas and probably did this for most of the cousins. If not, those listening to this show are going to be jealous. <laughs> uh, but she would send us these Starts uh, a family riff. <laughs> she would send us these hand-knitted... Um, Slip, slippers mm -hmm. they were made out of what i think was just basic yarn uh but they were colorful and they were warm and uh any non-carpeted surface in the house you could do the risky business slide <laughs> nice um, and my brother and i loved we had we shared a bedroom for several years it was a, a converted attic so it was as long as the house uh and it was all linoleum and so we did lots of sliding up there um <clears throat> but anyway i have not been a slipper guy as an adult what i have done is and, and I, I think I even recommended these on a Recotopia episode, is I've merged my sneakers with slip-ons, and I'm wearing these Nike. Yeah. Yeah, the... Nike Go Fly Yeah, ease, the Go Fly Ease, yeah. Yeah, that I can slip in and out of when I want to, whether it's, you know... The only downside is if it's raining, um, the, the tops are meshy enough that I, I tend to want a different shoe because I get, I get a little wet. But um, it hasn't rained here in nearly 16 years um, it, from the, how it feels. And uh, so I've been wearing these for like a month. Yeah, but and, gen uh, generally you'll wear socks with those too, right? Absolutely. The only time I'm barefoot is in the shower and when I'm sleeping. Oh, that, um, that's, that, that like makes my skin cringe. Like I don't know how people wear socks. Like they're just so annoying. That's wild. <laughs> <laughs> you got to touch dirt, man. You got to get your feet in the dirt and the grass and make connection with Mother Earth, Jeremy. No, no, no. Right. I I'm I'm fine. I'm good. <laughs>
here's some weird stuff. I'm going back to gross stuff. Um, <laughs> two days ago, which was Sunday, I, I math. Um, two days ago, as we record this, uh, we saw a deer in our backyard just laying down, maybe 50 feet away okay. uh, from the house. And we like to see the deer. It's one of our favorite things about living where we live. Um, and then, like, half an hour later, we noticed there was a young buck that was maybe 100 yards away, and he was laying down. And he, that was new. He had shown up. And I had just read, we have a massive deer problem where we live. Um, they are... Overpopulation? Yes. Yeah. I read... Okay, so for the, the average number of deer at a square mile in the state of Tennessee is, like, one point. Oh, it's like 19 point something. And and in our condensed area, it's like 80 some. Uh, it's really out of control. And anyway, I had I was reading about that. And the article mentioned that it's mating season, which causes them to cross the road a lot mm-hmm. more often than they yep. normally would. And so I said to my wife, I did read that it's mating season. Maybe he's, you know, looking to do some stuff so we went and got lunch or went and made lunch and sat down and while we're eating we're looking out the back and we see him put his head down and start walking towards the female and she gets up and kind of trots away and we watch this dance mm-hmm. while we're eating lunch which i admit is probably not appropriate anyway they ultimately did the thing like the like the nature channel right there in our backyard mm. like and my wife was grossed out and i was kind of fascinated because it's nature and uh I was surprised they would do it out in the open. Like, I would think you <laughs> what would. Did you think they were gonna do it, Jeremy? <laughs> the uh, the story's not over, even though I know we got to start the thing soon. Um, the very next day, we see two vultures in the same spot in our backyard, and one of them starts crouching and chasing the other one. Nice. And we we did not see anything Nature Channel happen other than him kind of following her for several minutes, and then they both flew off. But our yard is a brothel. <laughs> Wait. Animals be screwing in our yard. There's payment going on. What if there's, what is... uh, there's something? There's something growing in my grass that is turning on all of the species, and, and I don't know what I'm going to see today. Mm-hmm. But there's going to be two animals out there going at it. I'm just anyway. Yeah, I tried to set up a camera and done my best David Attenborough impression. I could have you know, done a little something, but my wife was not really interested in me filming it. So. <laughs>